0: What is going on everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. I am your host James Murphy aka Murph and today we are going to talk about obviously the Super Bowl but I actually want to talk Red Sox for once in a while. I couldn't tell you the last time I talked about Red Sox but spring training's here, a new season's on the horizon so I figured let's go into it open-minded. As much criticism and much hate as I've given them this past offseason even into the end of the regular season last year I do want to try to have some optimism here, but I, I don't know if I'll be able to do so, but I'm going to try, right? But nonetheless, welcome back to episode number 181 of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for downloading, listening, and enjoying on all audio-only platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcast, Amazon Music, wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can find Murph's Boston Sports Talk. And if you listen to this on YouTube, thank you so much for clicking on the video. Please make sure you like, comment, and of course, subscribe to the channel if you're new or haven't considered subscribing. Now, I do want to spend a lot of time talking about the Super Bowl. I want to spend some time talking about the Red Sox as well. However, first and foremost, I do want to start today's episode talking about Joe Mazzulla, the new head coach. Of the boston celtics the celtics extended joe missoula removing the interim tag and this is very very exciting and i don't want to talk about celtics right now because you know they're going into the all-star break they've had a good season you know i've already kind of touched upon them a little bit but i do want to talk about joe missoula because what he's been doing is absolutely crazy in my opinion for a rookie head coach for someone who's vaulted into the position Oh, what, a week or two before the season? Not even, maybe. But the best thing about the Joe Missoula story is that he's local to Johnston, Rhode Island. He is from Johnston, Rhode Island, which is really, really cool and exciting. For those that may not know, Murph's Cartown Sports Shop is located in Johnston, Rhode Island. And listen, I didn't know him. I never got to meet him. I just hear stories from other people who do know him, who watched him grow up, watched him play basketball. So the deep, deep community connection and the deep community ties is real here in the area. So this is very, very exciting. This is very, I don't want to say emotional, but it's very meaningful for the area. And, you know, Joe Mazzula is someone that doesn't forget his ties. And it's really awesome to see someone so local, not give back, but someone so local that they don't forget who or where they came from. Because a lot of celebrities will kind of put their childhood or their past behind them good or bad and Joe Mazula is not one of those guys he keeps it with him he wears like you know his his ties to Johnson Rodin like on his sleeve so I just really wanted to start off the episode talking about that well well deserved Um, with this removal of the interim tag and the extension resulting in him being the full-time head coach this does clear the air of uncertainty obviously We all know Ime Udoka was suspended by the Celtics, not the league, the Boston Celtics for the entire season due to a, um, I don't even know what to call it. It was just, you know, some misconduct within the workplace between him and a female employee. And, you know, again, there was nothing wrong with the league. The league never intervened, but the Celtics did. They suspended him for one full season, and that's how Joe Mazzula became the interim head coach. Did, the Celtics were poised to have a great season with Udoka as head coach. You know, rookie coach got to the finals, has, you know, another offseason under his belt. And, yeah, you made the move with Malcolm Brogdon. You brought in Gallinari before he got injured, yada, yada, yada. But then Joe Mazzula takes over, and, you know, you don't really expect a lot. You have a great team, so you expect to do good. But Joe Mizzoula has really given the team. Something to play for, something to fight for, and he's actually been a difference maker. He really has been. Now listen, Udoka was a great coach last year. I'm not gonna, you know, be blind to that. But in Joe Missoula's absence uh, I'm sorry, in Udoka's absence, Joe Mazzula has led the Celtics to NBA best record forty two and seventeen entering the all-star break. Now listen, I know I've sat here and I've been very critical. Oh, the Celtics started off twenty whatever, and then their last twenty games they're you know sixteen and eleven. So it's like the world's falling down. Da 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 da. It's like yes, because I'm very extremely extremely critical. However, this you know can we just take a moment to pause and enjoy, enjoy the right now, and right now the Celtics are the best team in the NBA best team in the East, the NBA Finals favorite. They're being led by a rookie head coach who is now the full-time coach. You have two superstars. I mean, there's a lot going well for the Celtics. And I've said this in the shop many times, and I've probably said it here many times, is what they were doing in the first 26 games of the regular season was by far not sustainable. It just wasn't sustainable. I mean, you cannot expect a team in their first 26 games to go... Like 20 and 6. Like, you can't expect that to carry on for the rest of the season. And I think the Celtics have done a really, really good job at, yeah, they've had some losing skids. Yeah, they've had some games that they lost that they should have won, specifically all the games against the Orlando Magic. But then, like, I mean, you look at Tuesday's game against the Milwaukee. Yeah, Tuesday's game against the Milwaukee Bucks. No Tatum, no Brown, no Smart, no Horford, barely any Rob Williams. And the Celtics pushed the Bucks into overtime, lose by what five points, or whatever it was. Oh, while wow, this game was in Milwaukee. So not not only does that say something about the Celtics, but I think that says something about the coaching in Joe Missoula. and vice versa. Like I mean, there's a lot of good to take away, and I know the Celtics we don't really care about moral victories, but when you look at it in a vacuum, you had essentially all five year starters out, and you took. The second best team, you know, some would probably say maybe the best team in the East, all the way to the end of the fourth quarter, tied, all the way through the end of overtime in a tight game, again, losing by five or six points, whatever it was. Again, in Milwaukee, that's really impressive. And that's probably the first I've really been impressed by this team. Again, I don't care about moral victories, but there is something to take away from that game against the Bucks, And then they go out there on Wednesday and who they play? The Pistons and they beat the Pistons. So and they had Tatum. They had Smart. So it's there's a lot to take away from, you know, this last week of you know the first half of the season. Now there is one thing I do want to put uh put on the attention right now is the last ten teams, the last ten teams to go into the NBA all star break with the best record in the NBA and what have they done? Now this is something to really, really think about. Very interesting, to be honest. So I'm gonna start way back 10 years ago, 2013-2014 Oklahoma City Thunder, and their season finished with a Western Conference Finals appearance. The 2014-2015 Warriors, they finished as the NBA champions. 2015-16 the Warriors again, they reached the NBA Finals, losing to LeBron and the Cavaliers that year. 2016-17 Warriors, again, won the NBA Finals. 17-18 Houston Rockets. They reached the Western Conference Finals. Moving along, finally, an Eastern team you know, had the best record at the All-Star break, but the Milwaukee Bucks in 2018-19. Eastern Conference Finals, 19-20 Bucks again. Eastern Conference Finals, the Utah Jazz in 2020-2021, They were the best record in the NBA. They made it to the Western Conference Finals. The Suns last year, 21-22, made it to the Western Conference Finals. And this year, the 2022-2023 Boston Celtics. It's going to be tough. I mean, in the past 10 years, only two teams that had the best record at the All-Star break in the NBA made it and won the NBA Finals. And those two teams were the Golden State Warriors twice during that, you know, for you know that first bit of their run other than that it's just been a ton of disappointments a team hasn't made the nba finals that led the record uh, that led the league with best record since the warriors won in 2017 so it's really hard to be optimistic looking at that perspective and again it's nice to have the best record in the nba History just doesn't fare with the Celtics at the current moment. Doesn't mean I'm panicking. Doesn't mean I'm jumping ship. Doesn't mean I'm not going to believe in this team. You know, I'm still hesitant to believe in this team. And I'm not the biggest fan of the moves that they made. You know, Mike Muscala, I think, was a really good addition. I would have liked to have seen maybe another big man. it would been nice to, you know, maybe pick up a wing as well. But the buyout market is going to be a real thing for the Celtics. Hopefully they can act on it and actually potentially make a move on the buyout market to, again, further their team because you just don't want to sit here after losing whatever game in whatever round and just be like, oh, damn, only if we had one more big man. Only if we had another piece, more depth. You just don't want to sit here and say that. So I really do think that the Celtics moving forward has a bright future. I think the Celtics are in a good position to play very well down the stretch. And I'm going to be very hopeful, but all... All that being said, I'm not going to overlook Johnson's own Joe Missoula being named head coach of the Boston Celtics, which is a very, very exciting time locally. So that's awesome. I just wanted to take a moment to talk about that before we really dive into the juice, the the meat of today's episode. So, all right, transitioning to the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 57, And I've said this a handful of times now to some people that have walked in, and I'll say it again. That hold on James Bradbury. Letter of the law, yes, that's a hold. Yes, letter of the law, that is the correct call. However, here's my thing. They weren't calling it all game. The refs were being really consistent all game with penalties. I think they did a really good job for the most part. The, the officiating crew throughout the entirety of the game, up until that call. Now, again, yes, that is the correct call. So I'm not gonna, you know, the the official be like, "Oh, you got it wrong. You got it wrong." But this is this is my re- this is my gripe with the call: is you weren't calling it all game, being consistent, exactly what we wanted. You know, a typically uh, flag free game, and arguably. In one of the biggest moments, in the waning minutes, waning seconds of the game, you call that holding. It's just, oh, man, that's I'm no Eagles fan. I'm just a football fan. And I was really frustrated with that call. If it was absolutely egregious, fine, I get it. And I don't think anybody, if that was the kind of game we had in week three of the regular season, and that call in that moment was called in week three of the regular season, no one would care. No one would care. Call that week three. Call that week five. Call that in week 10 of the regular season. I don't care. You cannot call that in the biggest stage in sports. You just can't. And that really, you know, shifted the the course of the game. Yes, you know, let's say the Chiefs settle for a field goal or maybe they – I mean, I doubt that they go for it. But let's just say they settle for a field goal. There is absolutely no guarantee that the Eagles were going to march down the field, score a touchdown, kick a field goal or whatever. No. But it would have been better in terms of dramatics, in terms of entertainment, suspense, nervousness, excitement. All of it would have would have gone through the roof if Jalen Hurts, who's balled out of his mind today with 300 passing yards, a touchdown, 70 yards on the ground, three touchdowns on the ground. Can he do it one more time? In his first Super Bowl, in his second Full season as the starter. Can he do it? I mean, it's just like, I mean, Jalen Hurts played beautifully. The Eagles uh, had no running game outside of Jalen Hurts. The receiving game did very well. So it's absolutely something we would have loved to have seen out of the Eagles is march down the field with like give or take two minutes to go with no timeouts. Oh, it would have been amazing to watch. Absolutely amazing to watch. And we kind of got screwed out of it. Now, listen, give all the credits in the world to the Chiefs. They were down. Then they came back. They scored 17 points in the fourth quarter. They they deserve to win that game, without a doubt. And I'm not trying to take anything away from them. And again, there's no guarantee that the Eagles were going to uh, able to do it. But it was an absolutely fun, exciting game to watch from start to finish. The game felt like it absolutely flew by. And you know what? That's exactly what we wanted. We all sat here the past two weeks. It's like, oh, we don't really I don't really care for the Eagles. I don't really care for the Chiefs. Yeah, I just want a good game. You know, I was saying over the past two weeks, as long as it's not an NFC blowout, like that NFC title game was, I'll be great. And this game was fantastic from start to finish. From the start when the Eagles got the ball and marched down the field and scored a touchdown. It's like, all right, the Eagles came to play. Eagles came to play. And then the Chiefs against the best defense in the league. They march down the field and they score a touchdown, showing like, hey, people are betting against us, but we're here to play too. Oh, and that first quarter was just super, super exciting. And then it just, you know, the, the Chiefs got a touchdown in the second quarter because of a fumble six. I mean, you could say without that the Eagles win. And, you know, going back to the hold, yeah, if that hold isn't called, there's no guarantee that the Eagles win, period, right? And there was other things throughout the course of the game that really could change, you know, the trajectory of the game for both teams. Uh, you know, players were slipping, Kelsey got open a few times because, you know, Eagle linebackers were slipping, corners were slipping, again the fumble six. So there's a lot of things that went different ways for each team. And at the end of the day, we got exactly what we wanted. Was a great game for fifty-eight minutes. And that hold at that that hold on James Bradbury, again, I cannot emphasize this enough. Yes, by the rule book, that is a hold. But in the world's biggest stage, in sports' biggest stage, the Super Bowl, where we've gotten an absolutely tooth-and-nail battle between two number one seeds in their respective conferences, and you call that, (sighs) you know, not, not because of that play, but it is kind of a, it is kind of obnoxious that a defensive hold is a five-yard penalty but an automatic first down. Now, I don't know what the down and distance was on that third down play. I think it was like third and seven, six maybe. I'd have to really double-triple check. But I, I don't believe it would have been a first down if it was just the five yards. But I really wish they would go in and change because you can be offsides you can I think you can even encroach for five yards and it's not a it's not a first down automatically but a hold is so I I just would like to I mean again if if there's a hold downfield if there's a pass interference downfield you know just like you know obviously unnecessary roughness like that stuff fine but when it's at the line of scrimmage or just about the line of scrimmage it kind of sucks it's 5 yards and it's automatic first down. It really 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 does suck. Because there's some plays where the offense uh, some penalties where the offense gets to keep the current down whether it's like 1st and 20, 1st and 5, there's some offensive penalties that you lose a down. So it's just like ah. that's something that like I mean it doesn't come up all too often but again, when it does and it matters, it's it's a big deal. And I will say this as well because I, I know I've talked about it this past week and I'll, I'll even mention it here, is the Bengals defender, Joseph Osai, I believe his name is. I know it's Osai, but I think it's Joseph. I'm not sure. He was the Bengals' best defender all game long in that ASC title game. And he makes one bad play. James bad- Bradbury was pretty good all game for the Chiefs. But he'll be remembered for that one holding call. Again, both plays, letter of the law. And when I look at the James Bradbury one and be like, eh, that wasn't egregious, it wasn't obnoxious, you don't really want that call there. You know, Week 3, fine, call it. Week 10, call it, whatever. But not in the Super Bowl, don't call it. But when I look at Osai's hit on Patrick Mahomes, that was kind of egregious. That's something you absolutely have to call. So, like, there's kind of the both sides to the coin there is like the Osai hit on Mahomes. As much as you really don't want to call that, you absolutely have to call that. When you look at the Bradbury hold, you don't really want to call that, and you don't actually need to call that. You really don't. Again, receivers and corners, receivers and defenders on both sides of the ball. We're fighting for the ball all damn day long. I mean, Mahomes was 21 and 27, so that's almost roughly 75%. Uh, Hertz was 27 of 38. I don't know what that turns into, but that's still a pretty strong completion percentage. So players were still able to complete the pass and still catch a you know catch the pass. It's not like you know the holding was so egregious that no one was able to catch anything out of the backfield, downfield, or wherever. So I mean it was like I said it was a good officiated game all day long except that one hold right there and I think that was the biggest scrutiny that the refs got you know going into the Super Bowl was like the amount of calls that were being called amount of holdings amount of this and that and it's just like they I think they did a pretty good job I really do and you know we'll see if there's any any changes to officiating going into 2023 i know a lot of people do want some officiating changes and such like that that's not my position to speak on i'm just a fan observing the game and i will give you my two cents when necessary but let's switch and talk about the halftime show so honestly halftime show was really really good um i was even saying to mrs murph like because i forget when rihanna had her her first baby but i was like she still have a little baby fat maybe or maybe she's pregnant And like, and she was like, well, so what? I'm like, I'm not trying to, I'm not saying anything mean. I'm not trying to say anything bad about it. I'm just making an observation. Like, you know, she might be pregnant again. And she killed it. It comes out that she was pregnant. Awesome. Congratulations. And she absolutely killed it. And like, listen, I I don't know how, how Kim's going to be when she's pregnant. I I don't think she's going to be performing on stage and you know dancing and, and singing and being an entertainer like that you know while she's pregnant so i mean congratulations to rihanna i don't know how far along she is but wow good for her good performance good show honestly there was so many different moments where i was like oh drake could come out oh my god kanye could come out All oh, it'd be excellent if jay-z came out and like i know jay-z was at the super bowl and like he was there he could have came out and you know he he could have, he could have went on stage real quick. Um, but honestly as cool and awesome and exciting and shocking, it would have been to have a guest performer come on stage, whoever it was, Drake, Kanye, Jay-Z pick anybody. I'm kind of glad that no one did. I mean, again, it would have been awesome, but you know, good for Rihanna. She killed it all by herself. No guests, no, you know, multi singers, just her awesome job. Very, it was awesome. And hopefully, I don't know who will be next year. Hope you know people are speculating. I think Drake would be an awesome, awesome halftime show. I mean, he has so many good songs. I, I don't. Where is it? Vegas too. Um, I don't know. That's gonna be my prediction. It is gonna be Drake for the halftime show next year. I think that would be absolutely awesome. We could all probably name ten really good Drake songs, and none of them are wrong. So, note to the NFL, maybe Drake. All right. Is there anything else I want to talk about the Super Bowl? Um, I'm I'm just trying to think here. I I really don't want to talk about oh Patrick Mahomes, he's creeping up to Tom Brady now. I'm like, I'm not I'm not talking about that. I'm not doing it. Um I don't think there's anything that I can think of off the top of my head that warrants an immediate discussion about the game. Again, I thought it was really well-played start to finish. I thought the game was well-officiated for the most part, 58 minutes of it at least. Um, I mean, definitely, guys, you know, that are listening, definitely let me know. Reach out to me via social media at Murph's Card Town, via Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Comment down below if you're listening to this on YouTube. What did you think of Super Bowl 57 between the Chiefs and the Eagles? Again, a lot of people didn't really care less who wins, um, People just wanted a good game, and that's what we got was a good game, so no complaints from that perspective. But I mean, it. I definitely want to know what your thoughts are. You know, what did you think of the holding call? What did you think of the officiating? What did you think of you know Hertz and Mahomes? Because, as a football fan, again without exception of that holding call, I was a fan of the game. I I really, I really enjoyed it. It sucks the Patriots weren't in it, but I didn't have a rooting horse, so I didn't have to be stressed out. Imagine if the Patriots were in that kind of a game, how stressful it would have been. Oh, man, I just, oh, I, it stressful, let me tell you. Whether it's the Seahawks game, the Falcons game, the, the Eagles game, it was just all so stressful. And in the Rams game, even though they were up like 10 to 3 for a lot of the game, like it still felt like they were up by like 20 in that second Ram Super Bowl. But I think that's going to wrap it up for our discussion about the Eagles and the Chiefs. In terms of Super Bowl 57, I'm trying to, if there's anything else that that grabs my attention, and I don't think there's anything else that does. But um, from this point forward, we will talk about Patriots here and there. We're obviously going to talk about the draft as we get closer and closer. However, we do have free agency first that I do believe NFL free agency. When does it start? I want to say like March 1st. I'm not sure. I'm just trying to quickly look it up. When will NFL... March 15th. Oh, I'm way off. I'm like two weeks off. So, it's going to start in about a month or so. A little less than a month. Actually, well, February only have 28 days. I guess it would probably be on about two weeks. Oh, no, about a month. Sorry. So, I mean, we're obviously going to talk about free agency, speculate some moves that the Patriots could make, obviously react to some of the moves that other teams do make, and then, of course, the draft as well. But between now and probably then it's going to be a lot of Bruins who won 5-0 last night big dub Uh, Celtics of course as they come out of the all-star break and then the Red Sox and that's where I want to transition to talking about the Boston Red Sox and how I am not the biggest fan of them going into 2023 and you guys know haven't been a big fan of the uh, the Red Sox the entire offseason Haven't been a big fan of the Red Sox since maybe June when they did go on a little hot streak, but here's an article from Boston globe that literally came out an hour ago. I clicked on this link when there was like, when it was published for like 10 minutes. (laughs) So this is as fresh as it comes. It's probably fresh as it comes fresh as lettuce. This is an article again from the Boston globe titled, is this anything more than a bridge year for the Red Sox? Maybe, this article is written by Chad Finn, and it's not a long read, but there's a lot of good information here. So let's just read it together and just kind of go from there. The straggling, possibly delusional optimists among us might be able to glance at this 2023 Red Sox roster, squint a little, and say, hmm, looks a little like 2013 to me. Give him a chance. Let's see how this plays out. The rest of us, heretofore known as the reasonable and sane do recognize albeit with a lot of squinting how the optimists might wish cast their way to such a conclusion and a lot of big hyphenated words and such like that the 2013 Red Sox were following Bobby Valentine's tired act from 2020 uh, 2012 excuse me when the team won 69 games the manager alienated half the roster before they had even parted before they even had departed Fort Myers and the optimists were trying to talk themselves into, B-A-P-I-P-King, Pedro Ciriaco, being the shortstop of the future. B-A-P-I-P-King? Batting average? I don't even know what that stands for.
1: What does that stand for?
0: Uh, batting average? Innings pitched? I don't know.
1: What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try.
0: Batting average on balls in play. Ah, okay. Like that. Pedro Siriac, I remember him. Fun guy. A decade later, the redemptive 2013 team is one of the most commendable in Red Sox history. General Manager Ben Cherington, in a move reminiscent of how Bill Belichick, Enhanced the 2001 Patriots roster with quality veterans at multiple positions. Signed seven established free agents. Charrington pulled a Rennie Stennett. Look up, look it up, kids. Yeah, I don't know who that guy is. He went seven for seven. Um, does, does he go? Oh, good. He goes into the free agents. All were respected and proven major leaguers. None could have been called stars at the time, but all seven, outfielder Shane Victorino and Johnny Gomes, first baseman Mike Napoli, reliever Koji Uehara, Shortstop Steven Drew, catcher David Ross, and starter Ryan Dempster contributed in a meaningful way. Victorino Napoli and Uehara in particular were essential to the Red Sox' stunning turnaround and success. That group of players, those characters with character, connected with each other, and with the City too, in a profound way in the wake of the Marathon bombing, they became a team and a crucial thread in, fab- in the fabric of Boston as it recovered. They won 97 games, knocked out the Rays and Tigers in the playoffs, and dropped the Cardinals in six games to win the World Series. They will be celebrated this summer, and they will be celebrated forever. Oh, yeah, 10 years. Wow, 10 years. Wow. Wow. It just feels like yesterday, you know, hearing about the Boston Marathon bombing, you know, sitting at home watching TV, and then 10 years. Wow. Time, oh, my God. The 2013 Red Sox are not just the absolute best-case scenario for the 2023 Red Sox. They're most likely an impossible scenario. Chief Baseball Officer Hein Bloom has added several veterans, among them relievers Kenley Jansen and Chris Martin, infielder slash DH Justin Turner, starter Corey Kluber, and outfielder Adam Duvall. His idea of going big was spending $105 million on Japanese outfielder Masataka Yoshida. Okay. Even if all of the, those players pan out 13-style, the team from a decade ago had much more high-end holdover talent, most notably David Ortiz, Dustin Pedroia, John Lester, and Jacoby Ellsbury. Clay Buchholz went 12-1 and with a 1.74 ERA. It had Alexander Bogarts on the way. He would arrive that September and contribute significantly in the postseason at age 21. It had a deep lineup, and every regular had an adjusted OPS of at least 110, other than Will Middlebrooks, and he contributed 17 home runs, it had inevitable bench depth. Mike Carp and Daniel Nava both had an OPS over 830. This team? It has 26-year-old slugger Raphael Devers signed long-term and, well, a lot of riffraff. Maybe Chris Sale will be healthy. Maybe Tristan Cassis will contribute immediately. Maybe Yoshida can replicate 13 Victorino's offensive con- contributions. 294 average 351 on base 451 slugging 15 home runs maybe 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 but probably not the outfield again i know this is a little lengthy of an article guys but there's a lot of juice here a lot of meat on the bones let's just read it together and then we're going to react the outfield defense won't remind anyone of Yaslin Evans their best center fielder Kike Hernandez is now the shortstop because Xander Bogart is a padre, and Trevor Story is out at least half the season with an elbow injury. (laughs) Maybe he threw too many sliders. That was in parentheses, that was a joke. The heart of the order is Devers, probably Duvall, the unproven Cassis, and Turner if he can defeat the hourglass. The bullpen is better. The starting rotation is entirely uh, pocked with question marks. They had... They had. I sorry. I had to scroll past a picture. I was looking at Tristan Casas swing. I'm sorry, Yoshida take a swing. (laughs) They had better start fast. The 13 team went 18 and 8 in April, but they do not seem built to do so. There's too much to sort out. It's tough to bottle lightning when everything is so cloudy. I kind of like that quote. That was kind of. I like that. I might use that. The 2013 Red Sox were in something of a bridge year, but that bridge led to the promised land and an unexpected championship. This is definitely a bridge year. But I'm not sure where it's leading right now in the short or long term. I want to see prospect Marcelo Meyer play a few innings for the Sea Dogs before I start anticipating his arrival in Boston. And maybe, I'm sorry, and remember, even with the best prospects, success isn't linear. Bogart's 14 season was a mess before he eventually developed into a franchise cornerstone. It takes time. As much as I like Sedane Rafaela, 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 the farm system is thin at the top. Besides with their resources, the Red Sox should very rarely have to assemble a team that they did in 2013 or the way the Bloom did this offseason. The aspiration should mirror another championship Red Sox team, 2007 squad. Theo Epstein constructed that team with holdover stars from 2004, Ortiz, Manny Ramirez, Kurt Schilling homegrown graduates of his desired player development machine, Pedroia, Ellsbury, Lester, Papelbon, and a savvy trade or two. Epstein was on a hiatus when the Red, uh, when the Sox got Mike Lowell and Josh Beckett from the Marlins for Hanley Ramirez, and it worked out spectacular. That's the kind of roster Bloom should aspire to build. Devers is the building blocks, and perhaps Cassis, Yoshida, and Brian Bayo. will join him as foundational pieces, but right now, that possibly feels like it's a great distance away. The Red Sox have one true star in a farm system that isn't quite ready to deliver all the help they need. In the meantime, they've got a bridge to sell you. Now that was a really good article. I didn't read it beforehand, so that was the first time me reading it was with you guys. And I need to take a sip because I have a lot to react after reading that. So I guess it would be be best to start from I guess the top, really. Is this anything more than a bridge year? This is a bridge year. Absolutely. You finished with 70-something. Was it 70? Yeah, it was 70-something wins last year. I have to double-check. I uh, Standings. Was it 70? Please tell me it was 70. Oh, I forget what it was. I forget what it was. 78. Okay, so they finished under 500. So they're not coming off of an excellent season last year where they can build off. Right, right, you're starting rotations full of question marks. Your bullpen is, yes, better. You have a your most versatile utility man playing shortstop, who, by the way, was your best center fielder last year. You lost your locker room guy, your locker room glue in Alexander Bogarts. Now, this is very reminiscent of 2013. But championships aren't won like they are in 2013 that was magical that was something special and honestly when was the last time we've seen something like that a bunch of gritty veterans all you know join up and they go on this crazy run probably really never let's past world series winners all right i need like not not this year's world series All right, let's see. Gritty veteran teams, two of one. I'm going to start with 2013, right? Red Sox beat the Cardinals. Uh, Giants beat the Royals. Oh, by the way, that was their third championship. So that was, I mean, there was Buster Posey, Pablo Sandoval, Brandon Belt, Brandon Crawford, Tim Lincecum. Like, that team was built in San Francisco. Homegrown, built. So that doesn't count. Kansas City Royals, again, Alex Gordon you had Eric Hosmer Salvador Perez built homegrown Chicago Cubs beating the Cleveland Indians you had uh, Anthony Rizzo you had Chris Bryant oh there's another player I can't remember his name oh can I get some players on I know they had pitchers like John Lester John Lackey I even believe was on that team as well oh man Um, Wilson Contreras yes thank you oh man oh he was young he was still in uh double a oh give me some baseball players on this team can i get like a roster or something roster roster oh here we go opening day start this is good enough dexter fowler jason hayward ben zover so like these are veterans but they're homegrown guys anthony rizzo chris bryant kyle Schwarber. Jorge Soler, Addison Russell, like I mean that team was built from the ground up in Chicago. Uh let's see, Astros, you know, say what you want about that 2017, 2017 team, Jose Altuve, George Springer, Alex Bregman, Carlos Correa, a ton of homegrown talent. Boston Red Sox in 2018. Now this one, this is a good one. And I'm just talking about all this homegrown talent. So So hopefully they can show you that 2013 is a little bit of an anomaly. But in 2018, the Red Sox had Betts, Bogarts, Devers, three homegrown guys. Yes, you had J.D. Martinez that you bought in free agency. But you know what? That's all right because teams are built like that. Cubs go out and pick up Ben Zobris at the trade deadline. Astros go pick up Carlos Beltran at the trade deadline. It happens. Moves are made like that. 2019, Washington Nationals what a crazy team to think that was Trey Turner, Max Scherzer I mean, Max Scherzer came from Detroit but he was there for so long okay, fine, you don't want Jordan Zimmerman, I think, was still on the team at the time Ryan Zimmerman was on the team uh, Juan Soto, I don't know if I said Juan Soto yet again, a team with a lot of homegrown talent oh, um, th- Anthony Rendon third baseman again, a lot of homegrown talent Dodgers in 2020 I'm um, trying to think here. Uh, they didn't have Verdugo. I know that team was is, is kind of – that team, all, all due respect, was kind of bought. But let's see. Here's the roster here. I'm trying to think of homegrown guys. Uh, Walker Bueller, uh, Clayton Kershaw, Dustin May, uh, Julio Arias. Okay, we're, we're going. We're going. Will Smith. Let's see. Kike uh, Hernandez. Gavin Lux, Max Muncie, Edwin Rios, Corey Seeger, Cody Bellinger. Okay, there's a ton of guys. You know, Jock Peterson, ton of guys on this team that were homegrown. And yes, you do have your Mookie Betts who they traded for. Yes, they have um Joe Kelly who they signed. Uh, let's see, who's the other one? I can't I just saw I saw his name. Oh, Blake Tryon that they uh they snagged from the Oakland A's. So it's like yeah but like I mean I just rattled off so many I mean AJ Pollock I even think is a homegrown guy I think no he's with the Diamondbacks first so Dodgers are kind of a good blend of both but again there's so many young guys that I just rattled off or I say homegrown talent that I rattled off Atlanta Braves oh my god <laughs> Ronald Acuna Jr. Ozzy Albies uh was Michael Harris I don't think was on that team no because he was a rookie this year uh, let's see, uh, what did I say? I already said, I said Acuna, I said Albies, Austin Riley, Freddie Freeman, uh, Johan Camarga, uh, i trying to think. Why can't I think of anyone else? Um, did they have um, Strider? Was Spencer Strider on this team at the time? Uh, yes, yeah, Spencer Strider was on the team at the time. So, I mean, even there, Max Fried, team from, you built it up from within, and then, boom, there you go. And again, yeah, you know, Freddie Freeman's gone now. You know, some players do come and go. But also, they make moves at the deadline or in the off season to better themselves. They brought in Eddie Rosario. They brought in Jock, uh, Jock Peterson. They brought in Marcelo Meyer, who they had for a few years up to that point. There's nothing wrong with making moves throughout the course of the season when you already have a good foundation. And then, most recently in 2022, the Astros again. Pretty much the same thing, just without Correa. So, when I look at the Red Sox, and I look at all those teams, all those teams had homegrown young talent that been with them for years and they won a World Series with. Your longest-tenured Red Sox right now, I couldn't even tell you. It actually might be Rafael Devers. It really, really might be Rafael Devers. And... I just don't know if Devers. He's 26. He's young. I don't know if he's ready enough to be that veteran leadership that we need in the clubhouse. You know, you look at 2013. You had David Ortiz, Dustin Pedroia. You look at 2007. David Ortiz still. Manny Ramirez. John. Uh, John. No, John Lester was young at the time. Uh, Josh Beckett. Kurt Schilling. 2004. Manny Ortiz. Kurt Schilling. Um. Oh, my God, Pedro, Derek Lowe, Johnny Damon, like, Kevin Millar. You know, you had a bunch of grizzled veterans with experience that were foundation pieces. And then, again, in 2013, yeah, you had your young guys. uh, Jacoby Ellsbury, not really young, I guess, at that point. But you had Xander Bogarts, you know, who was young. And just a bunch of veterans. But still, with all those veterans, you had... You Pedro, your you know your club who clubhouse locker room guy. You had Ortiz, the clubhouse locker room guy, Ellsbury, veteran. I don't know if he was a clubhouse locker room guy. So like it just it made sense, and this team does not make sense right now. This team really doesn't make sense, and I love where he says in the article, you know, holdover stars from 2004: Ortiz, Ramirez, Schilling, to the 2017 team. But you also add through development of your system, Pedroya, Ellsbury, Lester, Papelbon. You got Mike Lowell and Josh Beckett via trade. So it's like you continue to add from holdovers from good team a couple years ago. A couple years go by, your your prospects turn into stars. You make a couple trades to get better. Okay, from 2007 to 13, completely different team with the exception of Ortiz, Pedroya, But you also had. Ellsbury from 2007, you had Leicester from 2007 so there were still some guys there and then when you look at 2018 again from 2013 nothing really besides Bogarts so Bogarts has seen and been through it all, he saw the veteran clubhouse locker room leaders in Ortiz and Pedroia carry over from a World Series championship to another one from 07 to 13 and then he was able to grow from that experience into 2018, win one himself, and to be that clubhouse locker room leader that the team needs. The team does not have that right now. They're missing a lot of pieces. As much adding as they've done, they're missing a lot of pieces. And at the end of the day, it is quite concerning. I still don't know if this team wins. I think I was saying like 70 games, you know, around the holiday time. I'm looking at this team and... I don't know if they win eighty games. i I'm, as it stands right now. I just don't know if this team will win eighty games. It's going to be really difficult for the saw. It's just it really is going to be. I'm trying to find the words to make it make sense in an easier tone than just saying, "Oh, our beloved Red Sox this year is going to suck." I mean, I mean, I can say that if you guys want me to say that, and I, I will because it's in a vacuum, kind of true. I mean, where do you feel confident? I mean, there's been reports from scouts that Yoshida is overpaid, and that you know a lot of scouts you know said that they wouldn't want their teams to give him that kind of money. You have a super utility guy playing shortstop. You have, you know, arguably no center fielder. You have arguably no second baseman. Like, do you want Christian and Royal to be your everyday second baseman? Not really. Quite frankly, I don't even want Kike Hernandez being my everyday shortstop. It's gonna be really really challenging for this team. I mean yes, they do have a bright young future with their minor league prospects. if you want to still include Cassis go ahead. they have Marcel Meyer they got Nick York again Brian Bale, you can still include but it takes time. We saw Bayo last year number one pitching prospect for the Red Sox get his you know get a t- uh, taste of big league baseball and he didn't look the greatest. It takes time. Marcelo Meyer hasn't even reached double-A yet. Kassas is now in the big leagues. Way back when, Xander Bogarts didn't look good in 2014. You know, he, you know, he's, the full-time shortstop in 2014 doesn't look the greatest. But in 2015, he, you know, explodes and becomes better. I'm just trying to think, when was the last time the Red Sox had a prospect that has come up and made an immediate impact and didn't really have, like, has to get sent down or have to ha- has to struggle like Bogarts did in his first full season. Like, I mean, I'm going to say Dustin Pedroia. He came up in t- uh, 2006, got a little taste. Won Rookie of the Year in 2007, looked really good. And then he wins the MVP in 2008. I'm just I'm trying to think between now and then because Bogarts, he underperformed. Betts wasn't a star overnight. I mean... Maybe, maybe Mookie Betts, but I know he was up and down a little bit. Um, uh, maybe Pitching? I'm trying to think about pitching prospect, maybe? Red Sox really haven't had much many of those in a while, so I'm, I'm going to say maybe Mookie Betts, maybe, but definitely, definitely Dustin Pedroia. And that was so long. Even Mookie Betts, even if you want to count Mookie Betts, that was still... A, eight years ago seven eight years ago so even if marcelo meyer say makes it to the big leagues this year okay well now you're banking on him being a superstar in 2024 which that is not guaranteed so it's just a very confusing time very difficult situation for not only upper management hein bloom but for red sox fans as well like what do we expect here in Boston, here in New England, we expect championships, right? Celtics, best team in the NBA. Bruins, best team in the NHL. No, that does not translate to championships, but that puts them in a damn good position. Patriots, okay, had a couple rough couple seasons. You fix the offensive coordinator spot. Hopefully, you can add some more in free agency, maybe make some trades and obviously the draft. And you want to be optimistic, of course, about that, but there's The light is very, very dim at the end of the tunnel. But here for the Red Sox, where there's really no clear-cut number one team, like, yeah, we can look at the Astros, we can look at the Dodgers and the Padres, of course, the Mets. But, like, the Mets have fallen short past couple of seasons. Padres, for some reason, can't keep up with the Dodgers. If you look at the Dodgers this year, they did lose some key players. And then you look at the Astros, and, yeah, they did add, but, however, they are still an aging team so it's like, you know, who really is the team to fear? Like, there's there's a bunch of good teams, but there's no team to fear. Like when you look at the when you look at the NFL, like you can peg Chiefs will be in the Super Bowl. You could probably look at the Bengals as a team that you want to peg in the Super Bowl. The Bills, you know, a lot of teams will peg in the Super Bowl. Um, those are just AFC teams. Any NFC teams? <sighs> um, really, no guaranteed NFC teams you can peg. Into the Super Bowl for next year, like I mean, I think this year a lot of people had the Rams in the Super Bowl, the Bucks in the Super Bowl. Um, I'm trying to think of another NFC team, maybe Cowboys, if we really want to stretch it. But like when we look at baseball, I mean, we could speculate. Yeah, okay, maybe maybe the Astros, maybe 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 the Yankees, maybe um, maybe I don't even know. <laughs> I don't even know. I'm trying to think in the division. Maybe the, the Blue Jays? Like I mean, it's just there's com- there's arguments for pros and cons for every team. But when it comes to the Red Sox, there's no pros. There's no pros when it comes to the Red Sox at all. And, unfortunately, they are, I'm going to say right now, the fifth team in the American League East. And were they the fifth team in the American League East in 2013? I'd probably say no. I'd say that that team was better still than the Blue Jays and then the Orioles. And I don't think that's a fair assumption to say. Maybe the Yankees were better at that time, you know, the beginning of the season. Maybe the Rays were still better than them at the beginning of the season. Just because of how 2012 was, you know, such a disappointment for the team. It's – you have to look at the season with a grain of salt. You have to really, really observe this team throughout spring training. Look at the tendencies – Look at how certain players play, you know, spring training games. They're starting soon. Um, They are starting very, very soon. When do they start? They start the 25th. Wow, that is a week from tomorrow. That is a week from tomorrow. We're going to get spring training games. So there's going to be a lot, a lot of work for this team to do if they want any shot at being relevant this year. Because I could probably name ten teams that I'm more intrigued about. If I'm not a Red Sox fan and I'm just a baseball fan, I could sit here and name at least ten teams that I'm. I'd rather, you know, read headlines about and and really dig into. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to do. I don't want another summer where the NBA Finals is over, the Stanley Cup Finals is over. Okay, draft and OTAs is, is over, and it's just baseball. And it's like if this if the, the socks are good and they're a top just say top 10 team in the league summer's gonna be fun it's gonna be great but if they're a bottom 10 team then it's going to be absolutely abysmal and it's just gonna be like <laughs> it's gonna be so so bad all right so i see that we're approaching one hour here on today's episode And I actually did want to go into, I have it saved. I'll probably save it for next week, next week episode. But I have my 2022 NFL predictions here all queued up. And I do want to leave a little cliffhanger. We'll put a bookmark in today's episode and I will talk about my 2022 NFL predictions. I'll react to it, break them all down, give you why I had some rhymes and reasons on why I picked them. And then obviously compared to what we actually got at the end of the 2022 NFL season. Um, I'll just tell you right off the bat I had the Cowboys winning the East but the Eagles won so there's boom one wrong answer right off the bat but I'm very very excited to revisit this I've had this all queued up ready to rock and roll since I made it on September 9th uh, right before the season did start so with that being said I think it is time to wrap up today's episode. I really, really appreciate you guys downloading, listening, and of course, enjoying on all audio only platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, literally wherever you listen to your podcast, you can find Merce Watson Sports Talk. So thank you so much for downloading, listening, and of course, enjoying. For those listening to this on YouTube, thank you so much for clicking on the video. I really appreciate it. Please make sure you like, comment, and subscribe to the channel if you're new or have not considered subscribing as I would greatly appreciate the love and support. Oh, man. It's raining outside. It sucks. We had beautiful, beautiful weather yesterday. It's still decently a little chilly, but it's nice. But the rain just kind of meh. So hopefully you guys have a fantastic weekend wherever you are, whatever you're doing. If you're going to shows this weekend, have fun. Be safe. Make some good deals. But for me, I'm going to Ohio tonight with Mrs. Murph. We leave around, what, like 9 o'clock, 9.30. And it's about 10, 11, 12-hour drive there. We're going to the Football Hall of Fame. So that will be very very exciting and very fun. Um, I'll let you guys, yeah, I'll talk about that trip, you know, when I come back. But, again, between now and then, you guys know that I love you. And I will always, always see you.